Not only save the day, save me. Save you. I'm grateful for that today. We're so blessed to be saved. Just to be Christians, to be loved by the Lord and thought of by the Lord. What a wonderful privilege it is. We, um, <clears throat> let's turn to the book of Ruth today, if you would. Chapter 1. Thanks, Brother West, for taking the service Wednesday night. Harry and myself and our families would certainly like to say we appreciate your prayer for our sister Cheryl. She's been really sick. She had a, um, looks like a major stroke this morning, and they're probably going to take her off life support sometime today. So we certainly appreciate her prayers. <clears throat> she has two married daughters with uh, grandchildren and an unmarried 17-year-old daughter still at home. So. I certainly, certainly need our, our prayers. I'm glad he's a present help to us, aren't you? Amen. You know, what goes through difficult things of life. Also, um, <clears throat> I've been wanting to have a um, prayer line here at the church for about, what's it been, two years maybe? A year and a half, two years? Quite a while. And um, we're going to uh, plan on doing that on June the 12th. I've asked Brother David Siler if he'd come up and be with us, and Brother Darrell, Brother West, of course, Brother Joe, the other ministers that are here at the church. And um, probably what we're going to do is um, have it, maybe have the service Sunday afternoon, maybe 2 o'clock or something like that. I figure if we have a prayer, have a service Saturday night and have a prayer line Saturday night, won't be no preachers here to preach. It'll all be dead. So, um, so I figured we might be better off to maybe move the service up till after lunch on, on Sunday till about two or something like that. And then we'll have Brother David to preach and then we'll just go into the prayer line and stay until, until we get everybody prayed for. So just plan on that. June the 12th, uh, tell your friends, those are different ones that have needs. Um, this year it's been incredible, all the different things that I have heard the Lord is doing in different prayer lines. I realize there's an element of the message people don't think we need them no more, but apparently you don't listen to the prayer request. We've got more prayer requests than we've ever had in our life, so I think we need to pray for those that are sick, don't you? That's right, it's part of, part of who we are. Well, you say, well, bless God, I'll tell you one thing, we ought to be beyond that now, we ought to be speaking the word. Well, until we get there, we're going to go ahead and pray for them. Because the same Lord Jesus that said, speak the word, said, lay hands on the sick. My Bible still says that. Amen. And they shall recover. And I'm going to practice it as long as I'm in my right mind. If I get out of my mind, y'all just take my hands and put them on them. And they'll still get well. That's his word. That's his word. So just remember that June the 12th. God bless you. Let's um, read here in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, 
Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwell there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. That's a great visitation. Well, how many has heard that the Lord has visited his people again and give them bread? The bread of the hour. Amen. Let's uh, bow our heads together, if you would, and pray over the word. Lord Jesus, we count it such an honor that we could be here today in your presence, Father. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you're so mindful of us in this day that we live. Everywhere we look in the world, we see it is groping in total insanity. And we're so grateful, Father, that you forewarned us that the world would get in this condition. So whenever we saw it, we would not just be so overwhelmed. We're grateful, Father, in the time of difficulty and great sin and darkness on the earth that your light shines brighter than ever before. Father God, we ask you today that you would help us. Lord Jesus, we're praying for the needs and the requests that Brother Louis had already mentioned. And Lord, we pray for Cheryl today, God, that you would help her. If it's time for her life to be ended, then we pray, Father, for her family, her husband, her daughters, her little grandchildren. Lord, her siblings, we've been fortunate, I think, Lord, me being the oldest of seven and all of our siblings so far been alive. And we're grateful for that. But if now the wheel will start being broken spindle by spindle, I pray that, Lord, we would be able to make the preparation so the circle will not be unbroken on the other side. Help us today, Father. Help me. I, I, I need you. Lord Jesus, but you just take your word and help me to get out of the way. Father, this prayer calls I have in my hand today for Sister Ruth Ward. You see this uh, arthritis in her back, and Lord, causing so much pain. Even the things the doctors have given have not really brought much relief. But Jesus, you suffered stripes so that she could be healed. I pray that you'd touch our sister today. Speak to us from your word, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Our story opens today in the year of 1322 B.C. It's a time that the judges are the ones who are now being called by God to help the people 
the prophets, Moses, Joshua, are gone. Samuel, many of the others are yet to come on the scene. So God is helping his people through this dispensation that is called Judges. And you that read the book of Judges, you're familiar with this time frame. Actually, the book of Ruth lands about time-wise about in the middle of the book of Judges. We have a, a sad setting because we have a man who is a Jew, a man who is supposed to remain in the promised land, the land that God had given them. And we hear the prophet telling us over and over again that whenever a Jew leaves the promised land, he's out of the will of God. And truly, we're able to see by the setting of this scripture that this man left, took his wife, his two sons, and leaves the land of promise and goes into the land of Moab. We know the origination of the Moabites was from Lot and his daughters that committed this terrible, terrible sin of incest. His daughters did and brought forth the Moabites and the Ammonites. They wasn't just because of that within itself, but because of their treatment of the people of God and the way that they looked at the people of God years after that. These boys could not help being born the way that they were born, but their attitude toward Israel further extended why God told them that no Ammonite or Moabite could come into the congregation of the Lord for 10 generations, which is 400 years. Now, we realize that our attitude toward God and toward His people is such an important thing. But think, here these people had treated the people of God in such a bad way. A generation passes, another, 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 on down to 10 generations would not be able to come into the presence of the Lord because of the treatment of what their forefathers had done in reality many hundreds of years prior to that. I'm sure you believe that we can affect our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and so on. But it come a, a difficult time in the land of Israel. Now remember this is a land that is called in the Bible a land flowing with milk and honey. But yet we know various times in the history of Israel that they would actually experience famine and drought and difficult times. And many of them would stay faithful. They would stay right in the land. But then there were others, they would become afraid and they would lose faith. And then whenever the time would come, it was hard and the famine was there, they would just pack up what they had and leave. You find people doing the same thing really in a family or in a church. When family times go through hard times, many just leave. They just absolutely leave. They can't handle it. People do the same thing with the church. They do the same thing with the nation. It's just the way that some people are. So here, Elimelech, which is the head of the home, instead of staying on the promise of what God said, he packed up and left. Well, once they get there, then they find, sure, they've got bread, but they no longer have the blessing of God. 
Now to me, maybe I'll look at it wrong, I would rather have less and have the blessing of God than to have more and be out of the will of God. But Elimelech apparently didn't look at it that way, so he decides to leave. Now when he does, he takes his wife and his two sons. Well, by pulling them out of the fellowship around the Jews, the people of God, then what do they do? Each of them take them a Moabitish wife. Now we know, of course, that Ruth is ordained to be part of the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. How would this have worked Had they stayed in the right place, I don't have a clue. But all I know is God will never lead any of us to break his word. And you can always check when you think you're being led of the spirit of God to do whatever it is. Check your motives, your objectives, of course, to make sure they're pure and right. But then you look into the word and see the pattern of the word and make sure what you're feeling led to do or whatever's speaking to you and whatever it's telling you is not leading you contrary to the word. Elimelech really didn't even have to pray about this because God had already told him. He can look back at his father Abraham, what he had done in the time of trouble when he left the land, in the time of famine, and he got into great trouble. And we know his son did exactly the same thing. And there was a weakness there with the children of Israel. Whenever difficult times would come, they would just pack up and leave. And it would seem as if though they might have it easy for a while, but it would always catch up with them. And it will you and I. So no matter how difficult that it may seem, we're better off to stay in God's provided land of promise than we are to move here, move there, go there, do this, that, and the other. Until the trouble is over, God will actually let trouble come our way to see if we'll be able to stand in the time of hardship. Now, we'll break into the story here this morning. We've been looking at the kinsman redeemer for quite some time. The Lord God himself becoming one of us and emptying himself out in the act of kenosis in order to save this people. But he also has another book called the book of life. Not the Lamb's book of life, but the book of life. And his mercy extends beyond just election over in to the whosoever will group. And no doubt there will be millions and millions of them that will stand there that day and they will give an account before God of all that they saw. And they will, many of them will be saved. We know that. And God always allows for those two groups in there. Now here we break into verse 14. Whenever Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, my daughters, I don't have any more sons. And if I did, would you wait around for these sons to be born? And this was a leveret law, as they called it, that if a brother uh, had had a wife and he died, and then another brother in the family was obligated by the Leverett law that he would take that woman to be his wife and he would raise up seed for the dead as the Bible calls it. So he would call this firstborn after the name of his brother and he would also get a portion of the inheritance. And so Naomi is quoting this Leverett law that if I was to have, if I knew a man this very night and I would 
would have sons. Would you wait for these sons to be born? No, daughters, what you want to do is just go back to your house. Go back to your home. Go back to your parents and your genealogy because they were in their homeland. They were in the motherland, as we would call it. Now, notice what happens in verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Now, actually, by the right of the law, they were subject to Naomi. So if they would have obeyed what Naomi had said, both of them would have went back to their father's house. But yet there's something totally different about Ruth from uh, Orpah. And even though it seems that she is disobeying what her mother-in-law says, it's actually election in her soul that is calling her to a higher call. Now, Orpah, of course, represents that believer. The prophet says it this way. And so Orpah, a type of the church normally, the church formal, was willing to kiss her mother-in-law goodbye, craving the things of the world, that old formal life, turned back to her idols because her mother-in-law discouraged her a little by saying both of them, now I'm too old to have children. You know, here it would seem as if though that Naomi would want them to go along. Her, Her future is certainly uncertain herself and she knows that, but instead of trying to encourage either of them, she greatly discouraged them and even discouraged Ruth more so than she did Orpah. But this was exactly what Orpah wanted to hear. Now, notice the prophet said, go back to your mothers and find comfort. Well, that's the way with the lukewarm church member. Just the first little thing comes along and they're discouraged and willing to turn back. Oh, what a pity. And he says in the kinsman redeemer, Oprah, a type of the lukewarm church that once started, a type of the church that won't go all the way. She said, that sounds pretty good. So she kissed her mother-in-law and returned back again. That's a type of the lukewarm believer who will believe Jesus to be the Christ and then turn around and go back into the thing she come out of and the men will take away the Lord's despised few and then turn around and go back like a dog to its vomit and a hog to its wallow as the Bible says. Now, I want you to notice, you have time to read this at home, you can, but what Naomi actually says is go back to your home and go back to your God's. Go back to your gods. Now she knew they were heathens. Of course, they worshiped Chemosh and Baal and a couple of other minor gods. But Naomi says this to Orpah and it falls upon a cold heart, indifferent. She says the exact same thing to another person, and it falls on a heart that holds life. Praise the Lord. Notice again, 
Brother Ram said, now she returned back to her gods. Many times we return back to the gods of our beginning. Maybe we got our eyes of lust after the wrong thing. We go back to lusting again. Maybe you got idols of drinking, idols of smoking, idols of lying. Wow, would you have ever thought of those things as being idols? Idols of lying, idols of smoking, idols of drinking. Well, come on, saints. Idols of stealing, all kinds of idols, and then profess and be baptized and then turn again. What a sad thing. Remember, it never spoke her name no more. She was excommunicated because of her decision. So Orpah walks right out of the pages of the Bible. She walks right out of God's providential mercy because of her decision and her choice. She turned back to go into the things she come out of. Oh my. How even preachers sometime will take the way of the Lord. And when you speak to them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, nonsense, turn away from it. That's Orpah. Let's come on down to the bottom of that quote a little bit to save time. Brother Ben said, but because of popularity, we'll kiss the church, kiss the message. Kiss Christ goodbye. There's been a lot of kissing going on in the last couple of years in our ranks. Folks have kissed Christ goodbye. Some have chosen to kiss the message goodbye. They've chosen to kiss a church that teaches the truth goodbye and go to some compromising, lukewarm, Laodicean church and let them live any way they want to live. Well, what is it? It's a modern day Judaitarian kiss. Remember, Judas kissed the door of heaven and went to hell. Now here Orpah weeps and she kisses her mother-in-law and she kisses the law, she kisses the promise, she kisses grace, she kisses mercy. We know she was not ordained to marry Boaz as a bride type, but she would have no doubt grace would have been given to her and whatever measure she could have received it. Is that right? Sure. God was merciful even to the Gentiles. We know that. But she chose to kiss the message of the day goodbye. She chose to kiss her mother-in-law, the old Jewish covenant of the law, goodbye. But there stood another woman. Ruth by name. And they lifted up their voice and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but now notice the difference. One of them kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. She never appears again in the scripture. More than likely, never saw Ruth, never saw Naomi again. Went back, I think, went back, married a man, probably had children, probably had a pretty good life, as it were, walked away from the truth that she had heard about, and she will stand at the day of judgment and give account. But or, now notice, Orpah's effect upon Ruth 
did not change. Now, they were sisters-in-law, and they were from the same country. No doubt they had a lot of commonality between them, but she did not let it affect her decision as a believer. Same with you and I. If our family turns away from the word, you better not follow your family. You better follow Christ the word. Notice, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but listen to the difference, but Ruth clave unto her. Now, I love this word here that the writer in the book of Ruth chose to use, uh, clave, and it was hang on, as we would say, hang on for dear life. So Ruth, now I want you to think of the decision that she is making. She herself is a Moabitess. She must know surely enough about the law of God to know when she crosses that river and she goes into the land of Israel, she is going to be one hated individual. She's gonna be looked down upon, she's gonna be despised. God did not show her a prophetic vision of the future to let her see she's going to marry a Jew, which is a rich man. They will have a son, which will have a son, which will have a son, and shall be called David. She did not see a vision and be able to give her an insight that she would be one of the great matriarchs of the Messiah himself. It would have no doubt made her decision much, much easier. But think of what she's looking at. Now she claimed unto her mother-in-law without one promise. Think children, without one promise. Her mother-in-law is a widow. She is penniless. She doesn't even know when she goes back if the house they left 10 years, this is how long they were there, 10 years will even be standing if there will be people moved in. She does not have a clue. She does not have a promise of a husband or a family or an endowment of riches. She has no promise whatsoever. Good sign of a predestinated seed. You see, those who have to be begged to serve God, those who have to be offered a position, well, we'll make you the third associate deacon if you'll just stay. And we'll make you the 14th in line trustee and, and you can be the assistant to the assistant to the assistant to the assistant piano player when the original piano player's gone on a trip somewhere. And all people like that eventually they're gonna go anyway because they have to have something that they can be up in front of the people and everybody looks at them and all that. A real believer's not looking for that at all. They're looking for mercy. They're looking for mercy that if God gives them something else, somehow that just comes right along with it. But you see, she's gonna have to leave her native country. She's gonna have to lose, oh my, lose everything that was in the back behind her, never see her mother, father, no family members again, probably in life. And she's going to move into a place of great poverty because her mother-in-law is not a rich woman. So she, by now, no doubt, has been taught some about this of what's going to take place. 
Now watch this, in this decision, it is, no, it is so paramount, it is no wonder that Boaz was affected by this decision sometime later. Listen to this in the book of Ruth, chapter two, verse 11. And Boaz answered and said unto her, it hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Now here, this was so outstanding that Boaz, this testimony followed her life all the way from over there in Moab now into the land of Canaan. So you see, our decisions do have great effect, not only upon us, but upon others. Oh, I wish God would help us all to realize that. So here she is now going to start reaping the reward of a very painful decision that she had made sometime quite prior to this meeting of Boaz. She probably didn't even know nothing about Boaz, nothing about that sort of thing. Notice now in verse 15 of chapter one. And she said, behold thy sister-in-law. Now watch, here Orpah hears this discouraging message. I love the way the prophet addresses this when he uh, paraphrases on this verse here. And he said, whenever Naomi began to speak to Ruth a little bit more, he said that was the gospel preacher. He said, that's not the gospel preacher that really tells you the truth. And he will tell you some pretty discouraging things at times. He doesn't baby you. He doesn't want to make over you and make you all kinds of promises, which is what the majority of the Laodicean preachers are anyway, telling you all kinds of good and this and that and the other. A real gospel preacher is going to tell you the way before you is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to be cast out. You're going to be despised, but heaven's waiting for you if you go through the reproach. Now I want you to notice now that she, it's not just the first round of discouragement that Ruth hears, but now the discouragement is focused more on her personally instead of her and her sister-in-law. And she said, behold, our sister-in-law is gone back unto her people. Now, we don't know exactly how long this was, if it was a matter of hours or days or weeks. The Bible doesn't really say. But it was some time to where Ruth would have had time to think about it. So here comes the gospel preacher again and preaching another sermon that seems quite discouraging. Notice. Unto her gods, return thou after thy sister-in-law. Oh my goodness. You see the difference, such a great difference between a person who has kindness of manner, a person who's just genteel, Nice. I mean, there's nice people out here in the world and they do things for the poor and they do this and that and the other and they'll make donations to different charities and so on. I don't mean they're born again. There's a difference between somebody that just looks at someone else and feels sorry for them. And that's, that's the type of person Orpah was. But Ruth did more than that. It was something embedded in her character. It was the prophetic allotment of the word that she didn't even have a clue she was fixing to enter into. Notice how she says, return thou, I 
after thy sister-in-law. So Naomi's still entreating her, why, why don't you go ahead and go and leave, just like she did. My goodness, I wonder how many around the message, I wonder how many in the church, if I personally said to you this morning preaching, if you want to leave, leave. Well, glory. Well, people say, well, he told me to. Well, he told me to. Naomi told Ruth to. And what did Ruth say back? Don't you entreat me to leave because I ain't leaving. You can't run me off. <laughs> That's the kind of Christians I love to pastor. Oh, my. Hallelujah. I'll tell you one thing, friends. The response of this, and Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. To me, these are some of the, the absolute most profound words that you will ever find in literature. Whether it is a religious literature or not, the commitment that this woman is fixing to make, these words have actually been brought into marriage vows. Songs have been written with these words. This stand has been for over 3,000 years. Think about it, the year 1322 BC. And yet this statement is so profound, such discouragement coming on every hand. And she finally responds back to her and says, you might as well shut up. You ain't making me leave. I'm not getting away from you. You're stuck with me from now on to death. And even when we die, I'm going to be buried where you're buried. I'll die where you die. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You ain't running me off. Hallelujah. You ain't running me off, Naomi. You might as well forget it. I'm here for the long haul. I'm here for the fishes and the loaves. I'm here. Huh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Now remember, this is not the woman who owns the Marriott hotels. She don't own Hilton Honor. She don't own the Comfort Suites. She don't have a place to even lay her head. But she said, that's fine with me. Wherever you lay down, I'll lay down beside you. Whoever your people are, they're my people. Amen. Amen. Whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God. I love this. It's profound. She does not say thy Elohim, which was a word even used by the heathens in that day. This is the word she used when she told the daughters to go back to their gods, their Elohim. Because Elohim was a word used for basically any deity or any god. But Ruth never used it in a generic term. <laughs> but Ruth says, I will lodge when thy people shall be my people and thy God. Yahweh! Yahweh! Jehovah! 
She does not call him a generic God of Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or this God, or that God, or another God, but she says, Yahweh will be my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Yahweh will be my God. Indicating that Ruth had a proper understanding in the light of that day of the Godhead. Amen. Knowing that he was not many, but he was one. Remember, Abraham was one of the first ones that the revelation had been revealed to that the Lord is one. And here was a Gentile, a Moabitess, which could not even come to the house of God. The law was against her. But grace was for her. The law said she couldn't come to the house of God. But God said, I will bring my own human tabernacle through your body. So what if the Bible or what if the message, if God would have had Brother Branham to call a certain person's name, Dow Orndorff, lived down in Carter County, why he'll not be saved? Why, there ain't no way in the world he could be saved. Why, if most of us read that, we say, ain't no need for me to even try. Well, I can't even go on. But Ruth said, the law said I can't come, but grace is beckoning me. (laughs) Do you understand, David? According to the law, David could not come into the congregation of God. But you try to keep him out. Hallelujah. According to the law, 400 years, 10 generations. Ruth was his great grandmother. It ain't no wonder he had shouted. It ain't no wonder he had such a time. According to the law, Harry, he couldn't even be there. According to the law, couldn't even come to the house of God by the West, but he said, oh, I love your ways. I love your house. A day in your courts is greater than to live in the king's palace. Why, by law, he couldn't even come in, but try to keep him out. Hallelujah. Notice as a prophet said, I'd like to liken this morning, Naomi, the elder lady to the Orthodox Church. The Jewish Orthodox Church, Ruth, the Moabite Gentile, being the Christian church, the new church. I want to approach it from four different phases. I've got it wrote here. Ruth deciding, making her decision. Ruth serving. Ruth resting. Ruth Rewarded. The true choice of God involves some very painful consequences. And they knows that by experience. Now imagine being Ruth. She looks at not marrying, looks at no promise of ever having another husband, no promise of children. Even Naomi, when she gets back in the land, 
She doesn't even look at Ruth as an asset, but a deficit. She said, I left here full and I come back empty. Little did she know who she brought back with her. She had no way of knowing who that was that was with her. I wonder sometimes in our trials and the tests we go through and we think, oh God, I'm empty. Lord, I'm broken. God, what am I going through? God, what's going on? But you're bringing with you something that's gonna change your life and maybe the life of others as well. Oh my, homelessness, perpetual widowhood. Leaving her family, leaving her gods <laughs> to stand for a God that she didn't even know that much about. Knowing that there was going to be great consequence as soon as they find out she's a Moabitess. When she crosses over that boundary line into that land, oh my goodness. You see, the true choice of God demands such things. The Lord doesn't really require that much from people that aren't His. But for His, He requires everything. He makes little demands of this world. He makes little demands of those outside of the providence of election. That's why it may seem like to you, they're getting by with so little. Well, if he's requiring much of you, you must rank pretty high. If he'll let you get by by cutting your hair, wearing makeup, you men wearing shorts, you men, you know, putting earrings in your ears and your nose and your eyes and all that sort of thing, and your body tattooed like an animal of some sort, and you can get Bible set and be a Christian so-called, oh boy. I said, oh boy, but if you're a real seed of God, he may require your mother, he may require your father. He may require everything that's closest to your heart and it may look like to you he is demanding so much. The demand tells who you are. So it's not like she's going into this when she's gonna get an office job. Oh, praise the Lord. So am I gonna be a CEO or am I gonna be a, you know, what am I gonna be once I get there? I mean, what, what are you promising me? Widowhood, hopelessness, begging on the street, gleaning in the field. I'm telling you, it's gonna be hard. She said, you might as well shut up because I'm still going on with you. Amen. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Go ahead and tell me, but I'm telling you back, you ain't running me off. How many wants that kind of faith? Everything within her, plus her outward circumstances, is totally against this decision. What will your mama say? What will your daddy say? What will uncle so-and-so say? What will your dear old grandpa, which died calling on the name of Chemosh, what would he say? What would your grandmother say? Well, in reality, it don't matter what any of them say. I'm going on. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. It seemed as if though Naomi herself was against her. <laughs> Watch this. The prophet said in Gabriel's instructions to Daniel, Ruth deciding, Ruth serving, Ruth resting. Deciding was justification. Serving, making herself ready, sanctification. Resting was the Holy Spirit until the wedding supper came. How beautiful. The church come through John Wesley, justification, Martin Luther says, justification. Through John Wesley, sanctification. Through the Pentecostal baptism of the Holy Spirit and now resting, waiting for the coming of her Lord. Not only all of that, but can you imagine Naomi, Brother Greg, telling her, oh, there's, there's one thing I forgot to tell you. The law says no Moabite can come into the presence of God. Deuteronomy 23.3. Permanent exclusion from the presence of God. So what if the message said no American citizen can be in the bride? No Canadian citizen. Well, I'll move to Greece. That's all I got to do. And I'll go to Israel. I'll go to Turkey. I'll go wherever I got to go, but I'm going. Don't you see, friend? It depends on where you're from and how you hear things. Some people hear them, oh, I get so discouraged when I go to church. You say, really? I'm so encouraged. Well, really? How in the world? Well, I beat the fire out of me. It whooped me up one side down the other. Yeah, that's what encourages me because that lets me know I'm a son. I'm not a bastard. I'm not an illegitimate child. He loves me, so he corrects me. Think of it, Brother West. How in the world could this woman sing what the law said? The law said no admittance. But she threw herself completely at the mercy and the grace of God. Now, I hope you're going to understand what I'm fixing to say. God gave his law, and his law is right. But the law is like this traffic light right down here. When we get ready to head out of here after church, some of you going to the left, some of you going straight through, some of you going to the right, there might be a policeman standing there because the traffic light went off. Or there might be a funeral procession coming through, and a policeman will be standing there. And he holds up his hand, and he stops the people that have the green light to go. And emotions for you to come on, even though you've got the red light. Now the law, if you do that on your own, and there's a cop sitting over there, you're fixing to get a ticket. But if he stands there himself, he overrides that law. Don't you see why God must have law? But he must also have grace. A law would keep man totally out of the covenant. Oh, Fred, I, I know that we think, oh, Lord, we don't want to compromise. No, I don't want to compromise either. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to stand in the way of anyone who Almighty God offers grace to. I don't care how low they've stooped. I don't care what they've done. In my theological thinking, it may look impossible. But if God shows them grace, who am I to stand in their way? The same with Ruth. 
You imagine the legalists of that day taking the very law and the very word of Moses and said, you dog, who do you think you are that you could come into the house of the Lord? The word says, you Moabitess dog, you. But all she knew was mercy rewrote her life. Can you explain it? Well, I sure can't. I imagine we're gonna have a lot of surprises when we get to heaven that day, won't you? There'll be folks probably we'll be looking around for. We just knew they was gonna be there. Sure enough, they didn't wind up making it. There'll be other folks who'll be looking at us and say, Lord, have mercy, how did you in the world did you make it? I'd have never thought you'd ever been here. And then the greatest realization is, well, glory to God, I made it. Think of that, greatest miracle of all. I found this amazing and I put this down so I could share this with you. You find the names of five women and then the genealogy of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter four. Four of them have very questionable credentials. Tamar committed incest with her father-in-law. Rahab was a Gentile harlot. Ruth was an outcast Gentile, a Moabitess. And the wife of Uriah was an adulteress. How did they ever become part of the genealogy and the family of the Messiah? Grace. Grace. Amen. How did Tamar get in? Grace. How did Bathsheba get in? Grace. How are you going to get in? How am I going to get in? Hallelujah. Not our works. Not our good profession. Not our good singing. Notice these words of Ruth as she goes on. In verse 17, where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. Don't carry me back to Moab, because there ain't no resurrection in Moab. Oh, glory, bury me in the promised word of the hour, because there's the resurrection. The Lord, notice, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. She knows him by his Abrahamic name. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. I love this verse. And when Brother Donnie saw that many of the people were steadfastly minded to go on with the message, he quit trying to discourage them until the next service. Wow! Here a Gentile convert! Her determination is so strong that the law backed off. she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her. Then she left speaking unto her. 
I love the way Brother Branham deals with this in perseverance. He's referring to the Syrophoenician woman who had a daughter that was grievously vexed with the devil. No matter what she had to do to climb through, she was going to get to it anyhow. <sighs> Jesus couldn't even turn her back. This Syrophoenician Gentile had no promise, but even the Lord Jesus couldn't stop her. You can have your heroes. Oh, some of you brothers, you love the basketball and the football and the soccer and the hockey and all that sort of thing. Right here is my heroes. Oh, they're not Hollywood stars and they're not great basketball stars, but right here is my heroes of the Bible. Oh, my, we think, well, they make so many million a year, yeah, and by next week they could be rotten and in a grave and what good is it done? But look at this woman right here. We don't even know her name. And for over 2,000 years, she has been preached by the gospel preachers. Why? Because she is a living hero in the word of God. Death couldn't stop her. Demon possession couldn't stop her. But that ain't nothing. Even Jesus couldn't stop her. When the Lord Jesus said, get away from me, it ain't lawful to give you my children's bread. You're a dog. She said, that's right. But I'm here for mercy. I'm here for mercy, Jesus. You ain't running me off. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. I can see him as he's standing there and the bull rushes and he hears a rustle in the wind and he's already frightened in a way because his brother's just right across the way and maybe he sees a form of a shape as it moves there in the bush and it's coming closer to him. Who am I talking about? Jacob, the deceiver. And all of a sudden, he says, something grabs a hold of him. And he begins to wrestle with it and wrestle with it and wrestle with the angel of God. And he wrestled on up through the early night hours. And he wrestled on through. He said, let me go. He said, I ain't going to let you go till you change me. I've got to be changed. I'm sick of being a deceiver. I'm sick of being Jacob. I need to be set free from me. I need to be set free from me. He said, let me go, let me go. I'll not let you go. Hallelujah. So he touched the hollow of his thigh. He went in the bush, a deceiver. He come out, a limping prince. Oh, if that's what God's got to do me, touch me today, Lord. If that's what God's got to do to us, touch us today, Lord. Let me go. He said, I'm not letting you go. He said, what's your name? He said, why you ask my name? My name is a secret. What's your name? My name is Jacob. You will no longer be deceiver. Hallelujah. But your name will be Israel. For you have found power with God. And Jacob gets up and waddles out of there and he calls the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. So you're praying and don't seem like God's hearing you, keep wrestling. Amen. Amen. 
your belief in God and nothing's moving, keep on rising. Just go and tell him, Jesus, I'm on your hands. And I'm going to call on you day and night. I'm going to cry sometimes. Sometimes I'm going to shout the victory that the prayer is already answered, but you're going to hear from me day in and day out. When I wake up at three in the morning, guess what, Lord? It's me again. Five o'clock in the morning, it's me again, Lord. At nine o'clock the next day, it's me again, Lord. I'm on your hands, Jesus. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Can you imagine when a son or daughter of God does that and he looks over at the angels, smiles at him and said, listen, Adam. It's been weeks since I felt my presence. I've been holding prayers. I've got them bottled up here. I haven't answered them. But look at them. They love me right on. They serve me right on. Look at that determination. They got that from me. They don't just jump. They don't just shout. They've got divine grit. That grit ain't girls raised in the South either. It's genuine deity. Hallelujah. That says, no, I've got a need. And I ain't letting go. I'm reminded of that little Mexican woman that had that baby that had died that morning in the doctor's office. And the prophet had several hundred ushers there that night. And she went over the top of their back. She went under their legs. She went around everywhere. Why? She had a dead baby. And she had a need to get that baby where the man of God was. They couldn't stop her. Billy Paul couldn't stop her. Brother Branham couldn't even stop her. Why? She was anointed. She had a need. She had a need. Her baby. So Jesus couldn't turn her back. Can you imagine how weak people really look in the eyes of God when smoking turns them around? Marijuana turns them around. Brother Donnie didn't even shake my hand. And that turns them around. But Jesus looks at his bride and said, behold, angels. I hope this don't confuse you and mess you up. But do you know that angels themselves are still trying to look into this and understand redemption and the baptism of the Holy Ghost and how mere mortals that are born corrupt and vile can be so changed that it gets the attention of the Lord God in heaven. A son or daughter of God does one little something on the earth and the Lord says, and the angels are doing all these great things. They said, leave me alone. What's the matter with you? My daughter done this. My daughter believed me. My daughter trusted me. My son believed me. They looked to my word. Oh, Brother Donnie, I've been fighting the devil so hard. Well, I really feel sorry for you. Because if the devil has wore you out, when you meet Jesus in battle, you're a goner. I ain't gonna just fight discouraging devils. Brother John, I'm going to have such faith in him that if the Lord Jesus himself stands right before me and say, you're yellow, 
You're a coward, Donnie. You're a baby. I'll sing back to Jesus. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. You mean Jesus himself? Jesus himself. Well, I just cut our congregation in two-thirds, didn't I? <laughs> Look, friends, do, do we mean this or not? Are we just coming here just, just to be social? Is this everything to us? Notice, so Jesus couldn't even turn her back by calling her of the wrong race, calling her a dog. It wasn't even right to take the children's bread and feed dogs. Now don't raise your hands, but how many of you would be okay with me calling you a dog? I think I'll finish the sermon in the back room here. Sometimes, friends, we're such babies. We are such babies, we gotta be catered to. We've gotta be made over. We've gotta be handled and walking like we're walking on eggshells all the time. We need to grow up. We need to grow up and realize I'm not in this to be patted on the back. I'm not in this to have an easy way. The prophet of God said life was not intended to be easy and I say amen to that. But I'm not asking for everybody to love me. I'm not asking for the Lord to keep trouble off of me. I ask him to give me grace for what he allows me to go through. This is the kind of man I want to be. Hell gets in front of me, I fight through it. Demons get in front of me, I fight through it. Sickness, I fight through it. Discouragement, disappointment. And right before I get to the end of the way, there stands Jesus himself. And I have to say, now I don't want to hurt you, Lord. But you know me. You are not keeping me out. I'm going through. I'm going through. You ain't running me off, Jesus. We've done been through too much together. We've done been through too much together, Brother Dale. I'm not turning my back on him now. How many feels that way today? Oh, I feel that way about our church. We've been through too much together. I don't feel like turning my back on you. Look, I'm an old man. I get fired. I get so tired of fighting and dealing with so many hard battles and so much difficulty. I get tired of it. But I'm gonna keep on fighting as long as I'm in my right mind. And if I lose my mind, I'll keep on acting like I've got good sense. Why? Because we are too close to home. Amen. We are not turning back. We're pressing the battle. It wasn't right to take the children's bread and feeds dogs and so forth like that. But still she went right on after it anyhow because she was persistent. She had a need, her daughter was dying. Others had been healed. So why couldn't her daughter be healed? 
that was the God of creation. Jesus said, for this saying, the devil left your daughter. Wow. So it wasn't anything that Peter done. It wasn't nothing John done. It's actually what the woman done herself. Her persistence in the word and by her own confession, my little girl is sick. She's got a need. Think of it. She didn't have a quote book. She had no scripture, Brother John. Not one scripture she could put her finger on and say, well, uh, by stripes I'm healed. That was not to her. First Peter 2.24 was not written. How much of the New Testament was not even written? Yet she had nothing to lay her faith on except the pulsation of something from within her. Thank you, Lord. Jesus said, for this saying, the devil left your daughter. Oh my, she had the right approach to God's gift. Don't you love him today with all your heart? Let me read two more verses while you're standing and then we'll, we'll come to a close. Ruth 1.19. So they went until they came to Bethlehem. They came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem. All the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not beautiful or pleasant. Which is what Naomi means. But call me Mara. Bitterness, anxiety. I am no longer pleasant. I'm bitter. Long extended trials contend to make you that way. Notice what she says Call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. Remember the waters? When Moses had stood there and the waters become bitter, the word is Mara. So she said, my waters of life have become so bitter. My husband is gone. My two boys are gone. Ex-daughter-in-law has gone back to the world. Now the only one I've got's her. A Moabitess Gentile. Notice she says, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Look at her attitude. I want you to notice what she calls him, the Almighty, El Shaddai. It's a play on words, really. Him who can meet all of my needs has left so many of them unmet. So El Shaddai has turned his breast of nourishment away from me. He turned it toward Abraham and he nourished strength back, but he turned away from me. Wow. Aren't you glad for grace during those times? Oh, that ain't hard to say, praise God, he's been so good to me. Yeah, when everything is going good, but when things is going bad, do you change from Naomi, pleasant, Tomorrow, bitter. I ain't going back to church. I ain't this, that, and the other. That's the wrong thing to do. 
We don't know exactly how long it took her to get to this, but this time frame is about 10 years. So by now, she identifies herself as being a barren, widowless, childless, bitter woman. But God's mercy still reached to her. El Shaddai, who is the all-sufficient one, has turned his hand against me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me pleasant? I'm grouchy, I'm contrary, I'm sad, I'm depressed. Why call ye me Naomi? Saying the Lord hath testified against me. And the Almighty hath afflicted me. Who on the Almighty's part that her husband backslid and left the land of promise and went to Moab? But it in amazing self-inflicted trials, if we're not careful, we still bring it back on God. Help us, Jesus. Oh, my. Don't you love him with all your heart? So I ask you today as we close with this, and we'll pick it up again, but what do you wish to be called? Naomi or Mara? Is your test, your trials, the strains of life turns you into a very bitter person? Or are you still sweet? Now, Naomi was still Naomi. And Ruth is going to restore her back to being Naomi. The daughter-in-law that she looked at that she thought was just going to be really a deficit. I'm going to go through a lot of reproach because of her. Can't you see the Jewish brothers and they received the Holy Ghost and then they heard that the Gentile Ruth's bride got the Holy Ghost? Well, they called Peter in on the carpet. They said, what in the world are you going over our preaching? They said, look guys, I didn't give them the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost gave himself to them. It wasn't me, don't blame me. I just preached the truth to them and they got born again. But what was Naomi doing? This is all for us. This is only for us. Why, Ruth can't have that. But Jesus said, this is my bride. This is my Ruth. Children, no matter what you're going through, don't let Satan take your trial, your test, your affliction, your sickness, and change you from a beautiful Naomi. Elimelech and Naomi The prophet says her name was pleasantness and his was worship. So they had beautiful, pleasant worship in their home. That's what their home was. That's what their names meant. And then Chilion and Malon, one means pale and the other means sick. So here they go. And then what happens in that land? She loses worship. I know you may think I'm crazy. Oh, Brother Donnie wants us to worship because it's Pentecostal. I want you to worship because God loves for you to. You watch people that lose their worship and it won't be long. They'll be losing joy. They'll be losing desire to come to the house of God. They'll find it easier to go camping or go here or go there on the weekend. Well, come on now. You can have a lifetime membership at Dollywood, but it ain't gonna put you in the body change. Why? What happens to people when they lose that pleasant worship? Other things go wrong. Oh, but I ain't got nothing to praise him for. You're breathing, ain't you? You got blood in your veins, ain't you? You've had food to eat. You got a place to live. We've got so much to praise him for. Oh. 
So she lost her husband, worship. Then she loses her own something within her, pleasantness. Now the pleasantness has changed to bitterness and she's blaming God. God done this and God could have stopped that and God could have stopped something else and God could have, but instead God let it happen. Yeah, he's a loving God, is he? He's wonderful and kind and merciful, is he? Well, look at my life. I was pleasant when I left here. That was your problem. You left. Now I come back. I'm an old grouch bag. And if you don't believe it, ask me. Don't call me Naomi. Can you imagine, friends? Her name became repulsive. Don't you understand why these folks that have left the message have left with such vengeance and wrath? They hate the years they spent around this message. They hate it. They hate the years. They were robbed. Think of how many thousands of cigarettes they were robbed from. Think of how many liters of beer they were robbed from and Jack Daniels whiskey and all the filthy movies and all the everything they was robbed from. I don't mind telling you, I'm kind of glad I've been robbed of all that trash. Well, praise the Lord. They resent it so much. That's just why they hate the message. So they kiss it goodbye. I'm so glad, Brother West, our minds are made up. Aren't you glad, Brother Joel, our minds are made up. We're not turning back, Brother Skip. I'm more determined today than I've ever been in my life. Let's bow our heads together, if you would. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, thank you for helping me today. Lord, it's a very difficult thing knowing our sister may even be gone by now by the time we get after church, part of our family. Hard for me to lay them thoughts aside. I loved her. But thank you for helping me just long enough to bring what was on my heart to your children. Dear God, we ask you that you would help each of us today. May we be like little Ruth of old. We will embrace the word. We will embrace the great message of the hour and we will say to you, Lord Jesus, and to your word, where you go, I will go. And since you can't die, we don't have to say that dying part. Hallelujah. Where you lead us, we will follow. What you feed us, we will swallow. Hallelujah. It don't make us sick to our stomach like it does the rest of the world. The prophet said it makes them sick to their stomach because it's too rich for them. But to us, we have a very, very delicate palate. We're used to eating fine culinary artistry from the hand of the Almighty. Praise God. We love this word, Lord Jesus. We want to be so strong, so immovable on your word. Hallelujah. That if we have to meet you like Jacob of old, we will wrestle. We will wrestle. And we will come out of there a limping prince or a limping princess. If we pray and you don't answer, we cry and it seems like you turn your ear, we'll still keep on crying. We'll still keep on praying. We'll keep on singing. Because that's who we are. Praise God. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, may you minister to every heart today. Those that were present, those that will stream the service, those that will archive it, may your presence just encourage them, no matter what they're going through, what they're dealing with, help them, Father, I pray. Maybe they need to go back to their vows of years ago. Imagine little Ruth had to rehearse what she said. Lord, how many couples have I married since I started as being a young preacher and say pretty much the same vows today that I said years ago. Will you love, honor, cherish, keep the only unto her so long as you both shall live? I will, or I do. Will you have this man to be your lawful wedded husband, to live together after God's holy ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Will you love, honor, cherish, obey, keep thee only unto him so long as you both shall live? Oh, that bride and groom standing there with all the flowers and the bride in her beautiful dress and all the audience there, it's much easier to say it then than it is to carry it out. Lord God, help each of us maybe to go back to our wedding day with you when we said, Lord Jesus, I'll forsake all. I'll follow you no matter what happens. Through riches, through poverty and sickness and in health. I will love you. I will honor you. I will obey you. I will keep myself only unto you. Oh, we cried and we all shouted, glory to God, glory to God. But when the trials come, may we be reminded of those words. I imagine little Ruth went back through what she had said, maybe time and time again. Praise God. But she was determined. She didn't know it. But her name was going to already been written in the word. The Old Testament hadn't been written yet. She didn't know it, but it held her name. Her name was in your mind. Her name was with you before the Old Testament come in paper form or skin form. So was our name, Lord God, with you before the foundation of the world. Minister to your people today, Jesus. Healing. Strength. Father, I come before you too. Twofold. I can stand here today and say thank you for moving for Lish. Talking to her this week on the phone, Lord, and she said she's almost 100% back to normal. Tears come in my eyes and started rolling down my face. I got off the phone. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for touching her. Been a hard trial months now, Lord. We thank you for the victory. But then, Lord, I call upon your name today for my daughter, my youngest one. She, too, has a need. That demon, Lord, trying to afflict her liver. A demon that the doctors have now said is incurable. But that's as far as they know. Hallelujah, hallelujah. By your stripes, she is already healed. Father God, I call upon your name and I speak your word. May this evil thing leave her body. 
in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan, I speak to you and say you are a defeated foe. Not only her, but every other sick person in the building today in the name of Jesus, may you take your leave of their bodies. Lord God, bring deliverance to your children, I pray, Father. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord God. We bless your name. Thank you, Father. Don't you love him, children? Can we worship him just a little bit now before we close the service? You know, you kind of wonder if the Lord, by revelation, just let little Ruth's look beyond the curtain of time and maybe see her name written in the Word. Now, it wouldn't be hard, of course, if you're reading there. There will come a Ruth. She'll be a motorbike. She'll be married to so-and-so. Her mother-in-law be so-and-so. Her father-in-law be so-and-so. Oh, but if that word could open up to us and we could see our name identified in the book, it would give us faith over every challenge that we face in life. Let's worship him together, Harry. Let's sing. Can we just worship a little before we go? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, Father, if there's one here today who needs to be saved, one who needs the Holy Ghost, Lord God, one who needs healing, thank you, Lord. Let's worship him together now. I should have fallen my soul cast down
preaches about Little Ruth and the kinsman redeemer in 1960. He talks about her making her decision, said she had to leave her family and all of her loved ones and go over into a strange land. And he said, sort of like some of you, you've had to leave your land and move into a place where people are shouting and screaming and worshiping God. You can hear old brother Ben Bright, amen. Some of you had to leave your formal Baptist land. Some of you had to leave your, Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for us in another time of our departure. And you had to come in where they scream and holler and shout and worship and preach about, you can't wear this and you can't do that. No doubt you felt like a stranger for a while. But aren't you glad this land feels like home now? I remember years ago when Carol and Alicia and Erica and myself first moved here, and it took us probably a year and a half, something like that, when we got to a place to where that going back to Kentucky didn't feel like home. I'd go down there and preach. You preach here Saturday night and Sunday morning, drive down there four and a half hours and preach Sunday night and Monday night. And then I got to where Brother Luther took the service and I dropped the Monday night service. And then I got to where I'd preach Saturday night, Sunday morning, drive four and a half hours, preach Sunday night, drive four and a half hours back Sunday night. And I did that for about a year and a half, something like that. 
But then finally, that feeling of being homesick. I'd leave our little old place up there, had a little old double wide trailer, and I'd back out of there, two o'clock in the morning sometimes, three o'clock in the morning, crying, oh Lord, you know, Carol would go with me and the girls, and they left all their friends behind. But for quite some time now, whenever I go to Kentucky, it don't seem like home anymore. Now I'll always have a tie there, always will. The church, my family, most of them there. But it don't feel like home no more. Well, every day that I get up and read the news and hear all that's going on around me, the more I realize Johnson City ain't my home either. Blountville, Sullivan County, Kingsport, right? Every day this place is becoming more unfit for people and more fit for animals. Is that right? It won't be long. It won't be long, children. We'll be taking our journey. Where? Home's calling. Home's calling. Oh, don't you want to be ready? Don't you want to be ready? Let's just bow our heads together and we'll pray. Father, thank you for the service today. I pray it was a little encouragement to them, Lord, a little help to them. Dear God, we pray that you just go with us, strengthen us, help us, Father, for the days that lay ahead. Oh, Jesus, I'm sure if some of these people would be honest, they would say, they really haven't prayed like John did years ago. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. But I'm hearing it more and more and more. As I sat at a table here just a couple of days ago, talking to some preachers, and I heard them preachers saying, saying this same thing. And I heard one of them being an evangelist said he's sharing it everywhere he goes out on the field. That are people are saying, oh, I'm so homesick. I want to go home. I want to leave this place. How do we know that that not, might not be one of the keys that will usher in the coming of the Lord? Amen. For we know the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus that you heard the cries of your people. When you call Moses to go down there and deliver them, that's one of the things you told him. I have heard the cries of my people. Well, Lord, if you're waiting on my voice, here it is. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Get us ready, Father. Every name that's on that book, bring them in, Lord God, we pray. Help us, Heavenly Father, that we can be ready for that great day. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said, let's sing, I've seen all this world I want to see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Can you turn around and tell somebody before the ghost been good to be in the house of the Lord? Brother, sister, good to see you today. Well, I've seen all this world I want to see. Things down here ain't got no chains on me. Well, I'm not worried about Mr. Putin because I know he's ready to come. I'm ready to go. Oh
We'll sing it as you go. I plan on being here Wednesday night, but we'll just have to see how things go with my sister. God bless you, sir, and appreciate your prayers. Seems like everybody's talking about heaven. If you want to go along, you better be a believing. I got a feeling someday soon to be
Someday soon we'll leave If you're gonna ride the train, you better not be slow. He's ready to come. I'm ready to go. He's ready to come. I'm ready to go. It seems like everybody's talking about heaven. If you about